0: or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Chad Zdenik. Chad is the founder and CEO of CSQ Properties. Uh, He is a rocket scientist turned entrepreneur turned real estate guru. Um, As I mentioned before we started recording, Rocket Scientist is, is a first on the show, so pretty cool. Um first of all, first of all, Chad, thanks for thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for taking time out. You bet. Excited to be here. Thanks, Jason. Awesome. Well, let's just start uh with with your story, your background. Obviously, even in that <laughs> short intro, there's a lot of uh interesting uh, I'm sure career transitions and things like that. So so maybe just tell us a bit of your story and then we'll we'll dive in from there. Cool.
1: Yeah, you bet. So I've had kind of three distinct careers uh, so far. And yeah, technically, I did start out as a rocket scientist. I was working for a uh, Rocketdyne on the space shuttle main engines as a uh, structural dynamics engineer. So my background is in structural engineering. And I did that for uh, for seven years. Uh, loved it. Super technical, but definitely a bit too bureaucratic for me. I'm definitely an entrepreneur at, at heart. I've uh, either founded or helped found seven different companies and just love the the entrepreneurial mindset. I'm sure we'll be talking about mindset a bit on the, on the show. Um, I love that. And it so drove me to uh, join my brother on a startup, which was a, uh, a lighting business focusing on Christmas lighting of all things. And uh, so it was a big departure from, from the rocket scientist work I was doing. But definitely fueled my, my entrepreneurial aspirations. And uh, when we started, it was just uh, you know him, my sister, and a few workers. And I was getting my MBA at UCLA at the time. And, uh, and, and used his company kind of as a, a pet project of mine because I was focusing on entrepreneurial studies. And then it grew to a size to where he really wanted me to come across and help grow up more. And uh, so believe it or not, I actually took a 50% pay cut to go work with him. Uh, He gave me 50% of the business and paid me or promised to pay me more than he was paying himself. So it was like really, really big compromise on both our parts, Uh, but we got to work and uh, eventually over the next 15 years, grew that to be a 75 person company with three different warehouses, and basically became the the largest Christmas lighting business in uh, LA. And we also did wedding lighting and and landscape lighting and stuff like that. But uh, very seasonal, worked a ton of hours for half the year. The other half of the year had quite a bit more flexibility. Um, But I'd always wanted to, I say get back into real estate because I, I, I didn't mention a stint I had in construction management for two years, got my contractor's license. Saw a lot of the transaction, you know, construction side of business, of real estate rather. And uh so then started investing in 2015 on my own. And then my brother bought me out of the company in 2018 and I went into uh syndications full-time. Um, imagine your audience knows that, knows what a syndicator is, but I'm a real estate syndicator, a lot like what you do. And um, and I started doing that in uh, 2018. Initially in California, which which comes with its own challenges, and then uh, and then now I partner on on much larger deals uh, out of state with with other people, uh, and that's what I do with with uh, CSQ Properties. You can see behind me the name of the company, and uh, so we invest primarily in multifamily and self storage projects um, in North Carolina, Florida, and Texas. Okay, great. Um,
0: I'm really curious about this Christmas lighting business. Just the it, it, this is you were essentially decorating people's houses. Is that kind of the where the the business was the process? Were you creating
1: lighting or because I know you have an engineering background, so I'm just kind of curious what what the process was. Sure. So it was basically a, an installation service and removal company. We started out working on like large houses. We would say people that bought too big of a house and too small of the latter. ladder. Uh, but I mean, look, you're, you're in L.A. as well. You know, we've got a lot of mega mansions out here. So we did a lot of large houses. Um, largest house was 52,000 square foot house. Uh, but then we also did commercial projects like Universal Studios, the Forum, the Greek Theater, um a city of beverly hills i'm sure you're familiar with the, the americana brand and the grove Yep. Yeah. Yeah. so like all those projects um were the the lighting projects that we did and we also did properties down to san diego up to santa barbara but our, our primary focus was la yeah wow that
0: uh, i mean that <laughs> the, the the americana has lighting i mean it's very elaborate i can imagine all of those things i mean that that must have been as you said you must have been working like crazy from i don't know october through uh january or february between installation yeah. and and um removal it's it's crazy but it's a it's i'm always fascinated by a lot of people that have come on the podcast like the vast majority come from you know sort of what seems like an unrelated uh, career path prior to getting into real estate, you know, as a, as a rocket scientist, uh, lighting installation, I mean, you would say, people would probably say, well, that's, that's not a real estate investing. But I think oftentimes there's skill sets, certain skill sets, depending on what the background is that have, that translate and that help you uh, as you move into real estate. And, and maybe depending on what that background is, it it translates to certain areas of of whether it's, you know, syndication or whatever part of real estate investing. So how do you feel like your background sort of prepared you or steered you towards, you know, uh, syndications?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And I agree with you 100%. I mean, there's so many different backgrounds that can lend itself well into real estate. And I think part of the reason is because real estate is a really, really broad sector, right? There's so many different aspects of real estate that you can be a part of. So for me personally, uh, I'm a structural engineer. Um, I also did like structural design for custom homes and houses here in LA, seismic design. So like I'm very familiar with the building codes. I'm also a general contractor. So the building side of it, I know really well. So those obviously are super helpful within real estate. Um, I also, you know, focus on Class B, Class C value add deals. So we buy older buildings and fix them up, uh, improve the properties, and then bring those rents to market. So that there's a lot of construction involved with that. Um, so, so that's kind of like the nuts and bolts of background that applies. But from like a, a mindset standpoint, you know, being an engineer, like we all know, engineers they they think a certain way. And uh, you know we tend to be very methodical and logical, and we can analyze issues and problems and stuff like that. And and that serves as a as a good background for a lot of different things. Well, in real estate, there's a lot of risk mitigation that you need to do, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not as simple as saying, "Oh, I just want the biggest return," right? You you've got to add the element of risk to it. And um and so when you do that, especially when you're talking about real estate. It's a lot different than like analyzing the risk of a company or a stock or something like that, Um, because real estate, especially on the construction side, there's just there's a lot of moving parts and these moving parts have different elements of risk associated with it. So I find myself as an engineer analyzing those risks a lot to find the best the best risk adjusted returns I can get. And that's a lot different than just looking at the best returns. So, uh, so that background has served pretty helpful for me in evaluating things. And, and the last piece I'd probably add to that is the entrepreneurial part of it. And, and this was kind of a surprise to me. Like it, it was easy for me to see real estate and construction and that sort of stuff, engineering, how it all related. But I didn't really appreciate how much entrepreneurial spirit there could be within a real estate company. Um, but now I see it, right? I mean, I started my business, and I've got you know cash flow issues. I've got HR issues. I've got legal issues, right? There's all the same sort of issues that you might have in any sort of business you have in a, in a real estate business. And for me, I really like that that part of it. I say issues, but but for me, they're really just like challenges. Mm-hmm. And um and we'll probably talk about this on the show. But like my why is to find a better way, and I can do that in any sort of aspect of business and for me that's really rewarding to do um you know i really probably shouldn't call them issues or challenges because they're they're fun things to work on right i like improving those things as part of the business
0: yeah it's uh I, i think at the root of it that's that's what being an entrepreneur is is a problem solver right so you have you know and, and people, I think a lot of people maybe out, outside of that don't necessarily run a business or aren't entrepreneurial. Maybe, you know, they they see, you, you, we use the words problems, issues, challenges, whatever it is. But it's funny because to to the people inside the space, we almost say that like it's a good thing, right? It's like I, I like, I like solving problems. I like finding, because that's the reality of business is that there will be challenges. There will be issues. There will be things to learn from. And then, you know, sort of, as you said, like, build that better way. So you're, you take them and, and turn them into positives. And and I think that, you know, maybe for people listening, they might hear you say those things. And, and they might be think, well, that's, that's why I don't want to own a business or get into real estate. And that's fine. But but what you find out is, is that's a little bit of the of the fun of it, right? Because you do have to have that analytical side, as as you mentioned, right, you're, you're looking at, um, you know, putting the best systems in place, the best processes, you're looking at your risk adjusted returns. And, but regardless of how, you know, sort of perfect you may try to construct it, things are still going to come up. And, you know, because at the end of the day, business involves people and people have personalities. There's things that will be unpredictable. And so it's just kind of bringing it all together. So I think that that's, you um, you know that that topic of you know these problems or challenges and, and even hearing you kind of not want to call them that because it it that it, those words imply negative but but I don't think I don't think we necessarily always see them as negative it's 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 more just a part of business
1: yeah i agree i mean look these challenges present opportunities right if you right. can help solve problems and solve other people's problems that brings value to the market and you get rewarded for that so Right. That's um, you know, they're they're they. You might be solving problems, but but for me, I enjoy those things. I know a lot of entrepreneurs do. Um, I like juggling a bunch of different things, and and so you know, running a, a business allows me to do that. And it, for me, it's always been really rewarding uh, as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to touch on, you know, you sort of mentioned those risk adjusted returns, and and. You know, sort of people always looking for what is the biggest return. And th- those are kind of important concepts, I think, for people to understand, because one, you look at, you know, are you, are you talking about this from an active standpoint as an active investor? Or are you talking about it from a, a passive investor? And so both of those, you know, sort of different camps may look at uh, the risk differently. Um, I think it may be helpful to mention if you look at you know, say the, the family offices, the, the, you know, sort of high net worth individuals and what they're investing in they they're actually willing to take a much lower return because when they're, especially when they're investing passively because of the, that, you know, lower risk. And so it's, it's, you know, it's a balance. I think it's a balance on both the active and passive side, but I do think sometimes, you know, people uh, will be presented a deal and they're just looking for the return metrics to be as high as possible, maybe not recognizing that that the reason why they're higher is be, because of that risk. And so you have to, you know, sort of take all of that into account. How do you, how do you balance it? How do you, when you're trying to find that sort of
1: sweet spot of of risk versus reward, what is your thought process on that? Yeah, and that's a good question. And, and I think it really does span the full spectrum. And, and for me, I kind of look at it from an investor standpoint. Where are you on your journey? Are you on a, a wealth accumulation phase, meaning you're, you're building up your wealth? Are you or are you at a wealth preservation phase where you already have a lot of wealth and you're trying to preserve it? You know, you've got a lot of very, very sophisticated family offices and institutional investors and companies that are fine with a smaller return because they're in their wealth preservation mode right they already have the wealth they have the money to them it's more important not to lose it right it kind of goes back to Warren Buffett's you know top two rules of investing one never lose money and two don't ever forget rule number one right so you know there's something to be said for that but but that's different than a, an investor who might be in the wealth accumulation phase maybe they're younger. Maybe they're willing to take more risk to try to get those higher returns. And those are just two different types of investors. And, um, and, and there's a whole spectrum of everything in between. So, so for me personally, um, since, and you're, you at Lark, you're you guys are probably the same, but we try to have a variety of different investments for different investors. Like we still have like kind of a niche, but it, there's a, a spectrum within that niche. Right. And, um, and so for me personally, since I invest in all these deals myself, like I want to have a diversified portfolio of properties and, and I will, I will kind of go in between that, that, um, uh, that spectrum, if you will. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So like right now I've got uh, two, two different deals that I'm, that I'm offering. And one is like a class A you know, um, class A apartment building in a downtown, you know, district, right? Dallas, like Mm -hmm. a really class A great market and um, a little bit lower returns because there's not as much risk there, right? There's some value add to it. So that's going to help when the returns, but you could say a lower risk profile, whereas I'm also doing in a a secondary or maybe even tertiary market uh, in Alabama, a self-storage project. And, and that's, you know, a, a totally different animal than, you know, multifamily in and, and a downtown core. Um, now, those are going to have two different risk profiles associated with it. I'm going to have two different types of investors that are generally looking at each of those. And but for me personally, I'm willing to do both because it helps to me. They, they help diversify the portfolio I'm offering. And I'll have investors that will think the same way and they'll end up investing in both. Um, but the idea is that I think it's helpful to to ha- be in different asset classes, to be in different geographical locations and really try to spread out some of that risk. Um, you know, I mean, there's something to be said. You've got some people that say, hey, I'm the expert in this area and this is all I do. But sometimes you can have some external forces that can affect that area and, and you're going to be really exposed if something happens in that area or in that asset class. Um, I mean, you and I living in California, we know what some of that exposure can look like. And uh, and that was the premise for me wanting to begin investing out of California. And now I do both. But um, I think you're, you're kind of exposing yourself a bit much if you're only hyper-focused in one area or one asset class.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you, you know, you, you sort of, Mentioned the the California thing, and and I think it's worth talking about because there's, you know, you you're also investing in the, I don't know, I guess the, in, in the same or you know that that sort of southeast Texas, the the areas that people consider sort of the the ideal, you know, sort of landlord friendly areas, um, that that everybody talks about is this is where you should invest, and then you know lots of people will will um. <laughs> disparage California as a place to invest and it. And, and a lot of that has to do with just the, the landlord tenant laws and the um sort of way that that's treated and, and things like rent control. But um, I, I want to hear kind of your take on why you invest here. And I, I, I sort of, you touched on why you invest other places. I, I completely agree with the diversification angle, but what is it, what's
1: appealing about uh, investing here in California as well? So I think part of that goes back to my journey as I kind of came up through the ranks of of being a syndicator and getting more and more into real estate. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners can can appreciate this. Like you feel more comfortable investing where you live, right? So when you're just starting out, you know, the area, you've been there a long time, you know, to invest on, you know, this side of the street, but not that side. And, and so it helps reduce that risk, if you will, on, on or improve your, your comfort level at, uh, for that particular investment. So I was just like that. Right. I, I've grown up in L.A. my whole life. And uh, so I wanted to do my investments close to home. And, and that's how I started. Um, I did have kind of a unique, I guess, start because I started out as a solo syndicator, solo GP. Uh, which is kind of rare for your first deals. Most people will partner with other more experienced people. Uh, I didn't do it that way. I just I did my own deals. Uh, but I had a, a strong engineering background, strong construction background. I had my MBA, um, contractor's license, so I had like a lot of the the tools in the tool belt, tool belt, if you will. So I did my all my first deals were all on my own, um, and then I started doing larger deals with other people. But going back to your original question. Like I knew L.A. and and so that's where I started to invest. Um, that being said, there's a lot of legislative liability, if you will, that you know can be passed down the down from and here from from Sacramento, and it's really hard to kind of underwrite to those sort of things. And um, you know, I I call those you know legislative liabilities or legal minefields. And the landscape is always changing, which makes it really difficult to operate. The good news is this is L.A. We've got great weather; it's a beautiful place. You know, people want to live here. Uh, it's it's obviously a, a primary market, so there's a lot of pluses in that regard. Um, your cash flows are generally a little tighter, but are uh, lower. Uh, but appreciation is always really good, right? It's right. it's L.A. It's tried and true. Now, if you add a, a value add component to it where you're buying an old building and fixing it up, that can help increase cash flows. And that was what my approach was. And, um, you know, we've been doing five to seven percent cash on cash returns uh, investing here in SoCal. So uh, those are still really good returns, but you got to have a value add component in order to do that. Right. You can't buy it. You can't do that with any stabilized deals. You might have, you um, you know be buying like a i don't know 2 or 3% cash on cash returns um if it's a, a stabilized deal here. So anyway, so that was my approach and then um I I quickly started investing outside of California, making sure it was partners that I knew liked and trusted and um and and that's where the bulk of my investments are today. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the sort of almost like bringing together two things he said one you know you have some of those legal minefields that you might run into here in California it's which is true and things can change but at the same time I would say you you kind of know what you're up against right so you, you kind of know what you're up against here in California you're you if you can find those value-add opportunities I think they're good I think you you mentioned kind of in in some of the other markets or you you mentioned the the possible of possibility of a shift in markets or sentiment things like that if if you're looking at some of those common areas like texas florida uh you know that that whole gulf coast area one of the things that a lot of operators are dealing with right now is that the cost of insurance has skyrocketed so what used to be Like a favorable deal, the sky, the the costs of insurance go way up. Then it becomes, um, it it takes away a lot of that cash flow. So, you you could you could make the case sometimes that uh, as long as nothing changes, great. But if you if if things are going to change dramatically like that, then it's almost better to like know what you're up against right from the beginning. Um, So it it's my point being that you have to look at what your investment thesis is and so if you're if you're looking strictly for cash flow probably don't want to invest in California it's probably not the way to go but if you're as you mentioned earlier like in that wealth accumulation phase there's very good appreciation here so you can have uh you know the the value of a property is probably going to double in 5 years you're going to have so you're going to have that that strong appreciation Maybe better than you might in some of the cash flow markets. So it's just, I, I think it's just being very uh, conscious of what you what you actually want, what you're trying to get out of it, and as you mentioned, you know, diversification is the way
1: to get you sort of the most the best of all those worlds, kind of put it all together. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you bring up a good point about insurance, right? Because that's something that people didn't really see. Happening, you know, you might have had a, I don't know, 5% increase on insurance or something like that in original underwriting. And now you're seeing 50% and 100% increases on insurance. So, you know, one point like to piggyback on that is, is there's no such thing as a perfect deal. There's always right. issues that come up, right? You yeah. just, you don't know what they're going to be, but there's always issues. Doesn't matter where you're investing. And so the question is, you know, are you part of a team that's got the experience? And, and knowledge to deal with those issues as they come up. And that's really why I think I think it's more important for investors to look at at their partnership team more, mm-hmm. even more so than the asset, right? I mean, that, cause there's gonna be issues, right? The asset might look great on day one, but later on there's gonna be issues and who's gonna fix that is gonna be the partnership team. They're the ones that are gonna have to navigate that storm whatever it might be. And that's where experience uh, really, really comes into play.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, the, these uh, the years prior to, you know, the, the, the shift in the market it, operations maybe weren't as vitally important as they are now, but, but yeah, now that, you know, sort of the operations team, you know, people like yourself that have a, a construction background and knowledge and can, can, you know, sort of intelligently address these problems uh, along with your, you know, property management group. It, it's kind of, the team and the functionality of that has become even more important than it was you know over the last few years when the market was was in a you know up cycle so it's just a matter of of recognizing that there will be problems building in some contingency for that and you know sort of you know you can't I guess, prepare for everything that could possibly happen, but kind of understanding, uh, hey, something's going to happen. So we better have some reserves. We better have some, you know, plan B and C on on our um, value add strategy. You might want to have multiple exit options. So I think that's just having all of that together and not just thinking, okay, I'm going to have, you know, (laughs) that the rents are going to go up at this exact amount, the expenses are going to go up at this exact amount. It's just it's just not going to likely be uh, where everything falls into place the way that you hope it does. But if you've built in that cushion, then, then it'll be fine and you can still have a, a you know good performance within that deal. Um, Chad, I, I want to switch gears here so I can ask you the questions that I like to ask every guest uh first one is you touched on it but relating to the name of the show being know your why um
1: what is your why and I want to kind of dig into this a little bit as well yeah so good question um and it took me a while to get there I actually hired um uh, like a business life coach to help me find my why so when I when I knew I was going to be exiting the lighting business I didn't know for sure like well Early on, like, I didn't know what I would end up doing, right? Mm -hmm. Real estate was a very strong pull for me. So it was like, okay, likely I'm going to go into real estate. Um, But I kind of wanted to do a kind of double check that that's really what I wanted to do. I had a a year and a half transition out of that company. So I had some time to figure out my next steps. And then, uh, so for me, I went back to finding my why, right? We've heard a lot about, you know, the importance of that over time. Um, for me, I'd been pretty successful in some areas of my life. And I, I was thinking that this third phase would probably be my last career switch. And, uh, so I really wanted to spend time to figure that out. So I hired a a guy to help me within uh, the entrepreneurs organization, which I've been a part of for 10 years and, uh, and just met with him every week to do it. And that's kind of his specialty. And, um, we went through this course, this journey, if you will, of discovery, right? And uh, part of it was um, Simon Sinek's book. Um, uh, know your was it Simon Sinek's Start with Why, it's by mm-hmm. Simon Sinek, right? It's a great book. And um, so I took about six or seven months to dive into this, and eventually I found out that for me, my uh, my why is to find a better way. And, and how do I do that? I do that by mastering things. I like to learn. I'm a, a lifelong student. I've got three master's degrees. It's just been something I've always done. And so what do I do with that is I challenge the status quo, hence CSQ. So like that is how my company name came to be. But at the core of it is to find a better way. And, um, and I found that th- that's just what I do naturally. Like I, there's no way I can do anything else but find a better way, which drives my wife crazy sometimes, mm-hmm. even my kids, because like it's almost like nothing's ever good enough because you always want to try to improve, right? Self-improvement. Yeah. But to me, that's just at the core of who I am. So once I knew that, then I said, okay, how can I find a better way and apply that in real estate, right? So for me, that's just talent challenging the status quo and um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be like market disruptive right I'm not talking necessarily like' Elon Musk big idea type of stuff but for me it's like challenging my own status quo right like like okay where am I at today and how can I improve tomorrow like like shake that up today to improve myself and then find a better way and that's what I just do every single day I'm just I, I, it keeps me up at night that's that's all I do that's how I operate and uh, so for me, I just began to embrace it, and I, I do that in real estate. Always trying to improve things, and and that that's my why. That's my endless endless energy for that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I love that. I think that that is probably a lot. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs they want to find a better way to do things, but I I do think it's needed because you know one of my. I really hate when people say, you know, the answer to a question, the answer to like, why do you do it this way is because this is how we've always done it or, you know, or, or I've been doing it this way for this long and it's worked just fine. And I'm just like, that's like the, one of the most infuriating answers. So I I love that idea of, you know, just going to keep looking for that better way. It's like, it's so, it's a silly example, but you know, when people say that and I'm like, well, do you have an iPhone? Because, you used to use a rotary phone, probably. So like yeah. it's, it's just like sometimes people are willing to accept that change and, and improvement of technology or processes or whatever it is, but then sometimes they get stuck in their own I don't know if you're you're in your head or whatever it is, but you're like, this is just how I've done it. So I love mm-hmm. I love the idea of, you know, sort of questioning how things are done and and you know, looking for a better way to do it. I think I think that's fantastic. And like a, a also a really great motivator and keeps things interesting. Right, like if you're always it's you don't have to. Just, you're not going to get bored because you're like, well, I'm looking for a better way to do this. You know, how can we improve on these processes? So, um, mm-hmm. really cool. Um, second question for you, Chad. Tell us something about yourself that that uh, isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, just something to let the listeners know you a little bit better.
1: Uh, sure. So, so I'm a an endurance athlete junkie. Uh, five-time Ironman finisher, uh, ultra-marathon runner. So for me, that's that's uh, something I've always done to help clear my head and kind of get in the zone, do some really deep thinking. So I, I tend to push myself pretty hard on on the athletic side of things. Uh, I also have five kids, so <laughs> in order to so get you some stay peace busy quiet, I got to run pretty far away. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> i
0: i need to go run for several hours to get away from you guys that's
1: yeah, yeah yeah i
0: uh i get it i i um have you ever done uh like the obstacle races the tough mudder mm-hmm. spartan races those sorts of things yeah i love those i get i get bored with i i've run marathons and things but i just i like the race i don't like the training i don't like just running and running for without yep. like a thing but when i discovered those um you know kind of obstacle type races i think that's a blast it just breaks up the breaks up the running with something uh you know some other activity in the middle of it so sure. uh but i agree with you i think you know getting out and, and being active is is uh, to me as much it keeps me physically well as much as mentally well in terms of um dealing with you know the the challenges that come in business and entrepreneurship and having a family and sort of balancing it all um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way?
1: Yeah, so the best way is probably either the website is just uh, csqproperties.com or any social media channels, just at csqproperties, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me personally, LinkedIn, Chad Zdenik. Um, Yeah, that'd be the best way. Okay, good. We'll put that stuff in the in the show
0: notes. Um, final question for you, Chad. What piece of advice would you give to someone who is getting started in real estate, they want to, you know, kind of they hear this, this episode, they want to follow in your footsteps, you know, kind of do, do big things. What would you tell them
1: to get them started on the right foot? So good question. I'll share something that I learned pretty late in life, actually. And I, it's one of my regrets. It's something that can be used, whether you're just starting out or whether you're a seasoned veteran, um, if you haven't done it already. And that is really to, to network a lot more and uh, join mastermind groups and hire mentors. So like, like those three things, uh, I was a slow learner on. Obviously, I, I've done a lot of formal education. I always wanted to learn everything myself. But that's like the long, hard way to do it. If you if you look at joining these mastermind groups or going to conferences and networking, like you can really accelerate that timeline of learning. And, uh, and I was late in life. I was in my 40s when I finally started doing that. And I wish I would have started that earlier.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's still, I, I, I think I'm, I feel like I'm still learning it, but the, the best way to network and, and sort of get around, you, you just, it, the, you know, some of the, I think cliches are cliches because usually there's, there's some, a fair bit of truth to them, but it's just getting getting in rooms with people you know you you want to be the you don't want to be the smartest person in the room you want to want to get in there and and uh you know be around people that have have done what you're trying to do they're you know maybe a few steps ahead of you and and have that um knowledge and and just uh i guess <laughs> proof of concept you know that mm-hmm. that that what you're trying to do isn't isn't uh isn't crazy isn't impossible and and then you do it you know, you see that, and then you can translate that to, to doing it the way that, that you want to do it. So um, I think that's great advice. Uh, and I would just like to say thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for taking the time out, sharing your story. Um, really appreciate it. I think the, the listeners will will um, get a lot of value out of, you know, hearing your journey. So, So thank you very much for your time.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Jason.
0: I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey.